All right, welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get right into it. And as always, for reviews like this, spoilers ahead. So, Rebel Moon. It is the grimdark, magical world of Dune in the iRobot Spartacus Star Wars Halo movie that we never knew we didn't want. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of references and pays a lot of weird homage to a ton of different science fiction movies and novels and I it's it's a lot. It is a lot, man. So this movie has a ton of hype built up around it. Um before it came out on Netflix, right? And for a few good reasons. Now, Zack Snyder had approached Disney wanting to do a R-rated Star Wars movie. He, he wanted to do a really gritty and dark Star Wars movie, but Disney told him no. So he reworked the, the script, threw some new skins on it, and gave us Rebel Moon Part 1. And it stunk. It it was so terribly disappointing. It it, it just me it's it's like the new kid on the basketball team is about to score his first shot and he just airballs it. Like, you feel confident about this kid. He's talking a big game. You're like, all right, I, I, I picked this guy to be on my team. And, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to win. But he just sucks, man. And I thought I was really going to like this movie. Considering that uh, film critics and reviewer sites all said that it was awful. Now, the their views often conflict with the wider audience who all usually have an opposite take on things for the most part, um, opposite the, the major film critics. So I thought, okay, if these guys don't like it, I'll probably really enjoy it. Uh, because we we generally have uh, a lot of very opposite feelings about a lot of movies. Um, that was very much not the case <laughs> with this film. It, it was dead on uh, how how the reviewers took this film. Uh, it felt so damn rushed and hurried along in several senses. Um, the backstories were were rushed. We get a lot of characters in this movie, and we get backstories on everybody. Uh, the The pacing was rushed. The action in a lot of the action scenes, and there's plenty of it. There's a ton of action in this movie. Um, and the action is not... It's not really there to give us the quote-unquote action parts of the movie. It's there to give us pretty shots it's there to give us like if if you were to i i can see the storyboard 
uh, room now. Like they they have all of these shots on a on a pin board in in the um, in in the writer room, and I, I can I can see the drawings like the the woman fighting the giant spider monster lady uh the native american guy taming the hippogriff like i can can see all of it like it's a it's some brilliant concepts and it makes for a lot of really pretty shots but and it's not a long movie it's only a two-hour movie and basically what it what the whole movie is is this big sci-fi hodgepodge of that one Rick and Morty episode where Rick gathers up a team of thieves to pull off a big heist and as soon as they're all gathered he just dips <laughs> and he deflates this this big expectation and build up that we have gathering all of these interesting and cool looking characters it's basically that um, because there's that's okay. That's the plot of this movie. Um, that's what the main character does, and there's a ton of sci-fi influences scattered around, like sprinkles on a souffle that don't belong, <laughs> because you don't put sprinkles on a souffle. Um. So the the main character, we we have less of a Mary Sue with this main character. Um, her name is Cora, and Cora was this elite soldier. She was taken from her family that the Empire kills. Um, she was taken as a child, and she was kind of raised by this main big bad of the universe, Belisarius. And this is one of the big references, um, well, one of the first really big references uh, aside from, you know, the opening shot being of a farm girl uh, with a sun setting in the background, and you know, is it, we we get the opening shot as a as a big Star Wars reference, uh, and then the next big reference is uh, Warhammer Forty K. <laughs> so, Belisarius is. A, a clear callback to uh, Belisarius Call, who is one of the leaders of the Adeptus Mechanicus for the Imperium of Man in Warhammer 40k. Uh, and that's another big tie-in, as the Empire's military in Rebel Moon is called the Imperium. <laughs> so, yeah, there's... Um, there's a lot of this scattered throughout the movie. Uh, a lot of these tie-ins, a lot of these, well, not tie-ins, but um, homages and nods and straight-up rip-offs <laughs> from, from other things like Star Wars and Warhammer. Um, so, yeah, we, we get Belisarius, Belisarius Call, uh, the Imperium of Man, the Imperium, you get it. Um, we we also later <laughs> we later on get these um, cult looking guys who very much look like Adeptus Mechanicus acolytes or or 
scientists, uh, and they're they're working on the main antagonist of the movie, and they send his mind to meet with Belisarius by using this weird science that looks like it it, it looks like it was body horror science pulled straight out of the 40k books, and it looks really cool. And I, I don't have much of a gripe with it, especially because we haven't gotten our 40k live action series just yet. Um, but there are inspirations and there are straight up ripoffs. Uh, and yeah, this is very much a ripoff, but I, I don't mind it too much. Um, because we haven't gotten uh, live action 40k yet. Uh, it's coming. I don't know when, but it's but it is, and I'm super excited for it. Uh, it's also kind of helping push the not in the limelight body horror tech envelope uh, a bit, and we've we've got we've gotten that with uh, a few less well-known sci-fi franchises and, and properties, but it's it's not. Um, it's not something that you see a lot of nowadays, uh, especially because we don't get too much mainstream science fiction anymore. Uh, it's mostly comic book films and, and Barbie movies, but, eh, you know, I digress. So, yeah, cult-looking guys, straight up out of the Adeptus Mechanicus. It's, it's pretty fun. I, I, I enjoyed that that bit of the movie. So we have the main character, Cora. Uh, she's kind of this bland person. And I, again, this is another bit of the movie I don't mind too much because we've had bland characters before in other major movies that we are meant to kind of imprint ourselves onto and let them carry us in through the events of the, of the film. Uh, perfect example is Neo from The Matrix. Because Keanu Reeves is so bland and flavorless as Neo. But it's one of the coolest movies. And it's got this groundbreaking concept and, and story that still captures audiences for plenty of good reason. Uh, now, Korra fights off the Imperial Guard that comes to mess with the villagers that she's made a life with uh, since she deserted her military post. And she was kind of raised to be this elite Halo Spartan kind of soldier. And she's meant to protect the Imperial family, but then her love interest dies, and she's like, eh, now nah, I'm a bounce. <laughs> and to give the movie some real credit for the tipping point scene for Korra, uh, it's a scene where she she helps this um, this farm girl that the Imperial soldiers are straight up just about to rape. It, like, they get hit. And this, this is where I give the, the movie uh, some props for its grit. 
because they get handsy and they pull her into this barn kicking and screaming and everything. Uh, It's not like they're they're doing this off camera like they it's creepy and Spartan Cora comes in and kills everybody with the help of the Anthony Hopkins iRobot that runs off and becomes king of the deer or something. I, I don't know. He's he's wearing deer antlers like a crown and he holds up a spear at the closing shot of the film. I mean, it's cool as hell. And it makes me wish the movie was more about him than anything. <laughs> so that's that's really the inciting incident of this film is Cora protecting the village and this village girl um, killing the soldiers and now she's like okay well the Imperium is going to come back and they're going to see their dead guys and they're going to kill everybody so we have to figure out how to fight and defend the village so she runs off with one of the villagers to gather up some warriors to help defend the village and they, they, they even have a timetable. They have 10 weeks with um, the main villain of the movie, Admiral Atticus, Atticus, Atticus Noble. Um, and he's going to come back with a ship and uh, take everything the village has. And he's going to kill them for killing his men. Which presents us with the first major plot hole of the movie for me. With Korra and her quest because the bad guy is coming back with a capital ship that has guns what good does gathering up soldiers do I mean, you, you should be out collecting ships right G- get a bunch of fighters and bombers and a few frigates maybe something to fight a spaceship that can shoot an army on the ground into rubble. Like it, it doesn't matter how many soldiers <laughs> that you collect. They're all going to be cannon fodder if your enemy shows up with a battle cruiser. I mean, this, this should have prompted a rush to find ships to fight a big space battle. Like that, that would have been great. Like, the, the, the movie tries to give us all of these little instances instead where it's meet character, there's a conflict, immediate payoff. And they they rinse and repeat that for a good three or four characters that Korra picks up along the way to join her merry band of freedom fighters. But, I, I mean, wh- why? <laughs> like, okay, you know it's a plot hole. When you ask the movie the simple question, hey, what happens to the main characters when they succeed? Do the bad guys lose? If the answer is a resounding no, because all the bad guys need to do is stay in their ship and rain down hellfire, then how is this not a plot hole? Especially if the main character used to work for the same military she knows is gunning for them. She knows how they operate. She knows that they'll come back and slaughter everybody with extreme prejudice, and she knows the kind of firepower that their damn ships are packing. So, what's the deal, man? (laughs) This makes no sense. 
And I, I mean, the the only reason that the uh, rabble of good guy warriors that Korra manages to scrape together come through and win at all is because they're fighting on the ground. They're fighting in a spaceport face-to-face, for the most part, with their enemy. And, I mean, it's not like any of them get off scot-free. I mean, they lose one of the main guys, like a, and a bunch of their freedom fighters get killed, and uh, they get betrayed by, <laughs> ironically, by the only guy that has a damn spaceship. <laughs> um, you, you know, for a movie that rips off a lot of sci-fi franchises, you'd think there'd be way more spaceships. I, I don't I don't get it. Uh, and the the characters that Korra manages to go around collecting are pretty cool, and they feel like they're straight out of a D and D campaign. And I really dig that um, as a as a big D and D fan myself. Um, I mean, the, you got this one guy who's this famous general who is. Now this disgraced drunkard fighting in arenas. Uh, There's a woman who's a cyborg samurai that wears this witch hat. Uh, And um, she's she's got this movie's version of lightsabers. And she kills this big scary spider lady to save a kid. Uh, One guy is this Native American looking prince guy who he looks like one of the one of the wolf guys from twilight <laughs> and he he's he's a slave to this space rancher that's got this harry potter hippogriff looking creature i mean they they look exactly alike um both he and the werewolves and the the hippogriff and this griffin looking thing I mean, they, they even bow to each other. It's it's not a, like if you're going to copy homework, fudge it a little bit more so it doesn't look like my homework. You know what I mean? Um, oh, Korra also gets um, this rebel leader to join her. Um, and they, they, they pull a handful of freedom fighters uh who really give off this viking fremen vibe from dune i I mean it's the only difference is the reliance on water and the movie's lighting scheme um god and that brings me to another big issue that i had with this movie it's how it was made the cinematography looked awful like something was really wrong when the the shots are all out of focus, especially in like the first third of the movie, uh, the the audio is kind of garbled at certain spots. Like, th- there's a lot of people that have different accents, and th- that kind of hurt the audio qualities in some places too. Like, I had to turn on subtitles, and I don't I don't use subtitles much. Um, I, I it, it was it was a big disservice to the audience I think um, like I said it, it it felt really rushed 
it felt like they took three takes and they just chose the less shitty of the takes. Uh, I, I think they needed to spend a lot more time on this movie. I mean, there are some beautiful bits that are really captivating and fun. Um, the, the coolest to me were with the Anthony Hopkins robot. Uh, but if I come away from your film and my favorite bits were of a character that was in the movie maybe a grand total of 10 minutes, then something's really wrong with how your movie was made. Because I, I want to get all of what I thought was wrong with the film out of the way. Uh, here's a few more things. <laughs> um, another plot hole, for example, and th this kind of take it just tears the movie in half. Cora uh, and the gang get betrayed by the space version, the space Irish version of Jack Teller from Sons of Anarchy. And he he makes a deal with this space orc to sell out Cora and all of the fugitives that are wanted by the Imperium that they spend a, a second third of the film going around and collecting, right? And he, he agrees to do this because he's made a deal with this orc to make a deal with the Imperium to sell out all of these wanted fug fugitives, right? The problem is we clearly see Jack making this deal with this space orc before he knows who Korra even is or who she's looking for. And it's not like you can explain this away. The, the, the film very astutely makes us aware of the relationship that Space Jack and the orc have before Korra and the villager get into a bar brawl with a fat space slug pig guy and his merry band of marauders. And all throughout the movie, we don't see Jack making any kind of, you know, suspicious moves or anything. He, he doesn't talk to anybody. He doesn't call the space orc. Uh, and he and the orc are the only ones to make a deal with the Imperium and that's how they ambush the heroes at the, at the docks at the end of the movie. So, I, I mean, how? It's it's super confusing. You, especially since they condensed all of this into two hours. And it's less than that, really, because you, you get your opening and get your end credits. It's like an hour, 45 minutes. I mean, you're really left to fill this this major plot hole that's that's a bit of a stretch um i mean you could say that space jack was in contact with the orc and i but why not show us a little of that you know like make him suspicious or or too trusting or give us some more build up of his character so that when he does end up betraying Korra there's more of an impact or or more of a sting to it I mean, we get we get some backstory on him, but 
and I mean, the Imperium killed his people and such, and he's learned to work with them out of fear and whatnot, but but that's kind of what everyone else is doing at the same time, <laughs> you know? Uh, save, of course, for the Viking Dune Fremen Freedom people. But so his motivation is survival. That's basically what everybody else is doing too, dude. Like it's, oh, oh my. I mean, it's not like the Atticus Noble guy is your brother or your cousin or something like yeah there there's no big twist um like oh oh no the the irish accented outlaw guy betrayed us uh okay like there's no big letdown here of course he did all in all, I, I think it's really easy for me to say that this movie is clearly a dud. And it's sad because I, I so wanted it to work. I, I I didn't get into the the hype of this movie because it was directed by Zack Snyder. Like I, I could give two wooden pennies about Zack Snyder. I, I don't care for him at all. I don't I don't care about most directors at all either um i was hype because it was this big sci-fi movie it was a rewrite of, of a star wars spinoff it had a great cast of characters uh played played by a bunch of really cool actors uh, a lot of whom i really enjoy and a ton of other things and i I'm really upset still about them basically wasting the use of their best actor, uh, Anthony Hopkins, who was the voice of the robot, and he's on screen for 10 minutes. Like it, It's like the live-action Beauty and the Beast movie that got Audra McDonald, right? One of the best voices on Broadway, and they have Emma Watson singing more than she does. <laughs> I, I think McDonald sings maybe two bars of music and that's it. But it, it, it made me so mad. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, but what? why not use your best tools to craft your story? It, it's so disappointing when creatives do that. And I, I also felt like there were way too many characters in this film. Like too many prominent characters. If you're going to have two parts, spread them out. Like the... They try to do way too much in a movie that is not very long at all. I, I'd have dwindled it down to Korra needing to find General Titus, um, use him to maybe rally some errant military faction, you know, that has some damn spaceships, and use them to help defend the villagers. You know, m maybe she she uses her her past as this elite imperium soldier to kind of trauma bond with him and uh and they they have maybe they develop this sort of mentor apprentice relationship and she she could like look up to him as is this 
because he's described in the movie as a military genius, right? So that would make a ton of sense. And maybe he could be the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, stand-in, right? This this old drunken hermit that, that's just kind of off in the middle of nowhere and... He's he's wanted by the Empire. Like it's it's a it's a great stand-in. Um, I mean that would have freed us up to let the movie take its time, right? It, it, it gives us more time investing in the characters instead of giving us, you know, expedition dumps and then hurrying us uh, along to the next world or the next scene or whatever every five minutes and I, I can really appreciate the effort and the homage that went into making this movie I really can because it's clearly got a ton of influence and you can tell Snyder's a fan of a lot of really big sci-fi franchise stuff that, that's got a lot of really rich uh, lore and backstory, and the the influence is pretty obvious to people like me who are huge science fiction nerds. But this movie should be able to stand on its own, right? It's it's got another part coming. If Snyder really wanted to make a Star Wars spinoff, maybe he should have studied Star Wars more. Because A New Hope does work on its own. It can be a standalone film. We don't need the next two installments. They don't need to come along to fix anything or make up for wasted characters or backstory. Lucas wrote the film script with that in mind, he didn't know he was going to get a second shot at telling his story, so he did the smart thing and he gave us a perfect one-shot story that worked by itself. And yeah, I, I know the second part was greenlit along with the first at the same time and Snyder's spreading things out, but should that excuse this poor quality of a movie? I, I think not, and I can only hope for better from Netflix and Snyder in the future. And, uh, well, you know, also I could say screw it and just wait for Henry Cavill's Warhammer 40k live action series on Amazon Prime, then maybe I'll be happy. Who knows? But, for now, live long and prosper, my friends, and may the Force be with us all.